What's going on? Welcome into a game day edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson and greetings from Memphis, Tennessee, right across from the FedEx Forum here as the Pelicans get set to wrap up their two-game road trip tonight against the Memphis Grizzlies. Of course, coming off that tough overtime loss to the Denver Nuggets on Sunday night, but the Pelicans look to bounce back against a really good Grizzlies team that's number two in the Western Conference right now. And to help us out with the Grizzlies, welcome in the voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, Eric Hasseltine. Eric, good to talk to you. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Let's pump the brakes on the bounce back talk right now. Like We don't need you guys to bounce back. We need to bounce back after a bad loss to Houston on Saturday. No, absolutely. Both teams Sunday. are coming off the top. I think both teams are ready for a bounce back. That's what makes tonight's game interesting. But I think based on um, how both teams are playing right now, though, the Pelicans have won four of their last five post all-star break. And besides, I guess, the clunker for the Rockets, the Grizzlies are playing really good basketball, too, as well. What's been clicking in the most recent stretch for the Grizzlies? as far as why they are now number two in the West? Well, I mean, for the schedule broke for them. They, they had the toughest schedule early. Um, the, their first 20 games were some of the toughest 20 going in the league. And now you get towards the, the back half of the schedule and they've it's just lightened up. And um, by no means is tonight a light game, but you had two with Orlando. You've had, you know, right before the All-Star break with Orlando and then again after the break. You've had games with Houston, although they didn't really fulfill that one. They had a tough one in Boston. They played well, but uh, Boston's physicality kind of took them out of some looks offensively. And it was one of the few times this year the Grizzlies on the offensive glass got beaten and a little bit of the same in Houston. So uh, they've been a terrific rebounding team all year. They score in the paint a lot. Obviously, John Morant leads the NBA in paint points. But um, the one thing that when they're going well is when they make it really difficult to stop them is when they're consistent with their three-point shot against um, Orlando the other night. They were lights out against Houston. They really struggled beyond the arc. It looked like a little bit of tired legs. So um, they move the ball well. They've just been playing great basketball all season, to be honest with you, after that 9-10 and 10 start where they kind of took a minute to figure out all the defensive schemes and all the things that they – Probably should have known because it's not a new group, but it was a new group together with the addition of Steven Adams and Desmond Bain moving into the starting rotation and D- Dylan Brooks at the timeout with injury. Um, it just took a second to click. And, and when it did, uh, and Jaron Jackson Jr. really got his legs underneath him, this team since they started nine and 10 has just been on an incredible pair. I'm glad you brought up Steven Adams because everyone wants to talk about John Moran, Desmond Bain, but Steven Adams has been very valuable. Of course, made the trade with the Pelicans in exchange for Jonas Valanciunas. What has worked so well? not only just Adams individually, but him playing alongside John Morant. Well, I mean, I think you always have to have with good teams, one of those unsung kind of glue guys. I mean, you have glue guys that can score, you know, for so long in San Antonio was Bruce Bowen, you know, who kind of coined the term three and D, but his defense was terrific, but he would spot up in that corner. Um, But for other teams, you know, and even with San Antonio at times, aside from Tim Duncan, they had bigs that could set a, a good high screen, uh, you know, above the elbow and, and then either roll into the lane or, or just really make it a, a clear path for guys like Tony Parker back then for the Spurs. That's just the example I use. The, the Jazz did it for so many years with different guys. Obviously, uh, you know, Stockton and Malone was the main pick and roll, but if they couldn't get Carl in the pick and roll, they would send Greg Ostertag or somebody like that. And when you run into a monster like that, it's just, it's hard for a guard to get around that. And Steven Adams is just that. He's a monster. And um, at times he's almost to a fault unselfish. You know, he gets looks underneath the basket and gives up the basketball. And you're like, yo, dude, you're seven feet tall. Just go up and dunk it. It's fine. No one's going to get upset. He's a better passer than I ever realized. I mean, we only saw him four times a year 
uh, or three times a year, sometimes when he was with Oklahoma City. And, he, you know, back then, Russ always had the ball in his hands. The Grizzlies are letting him facilitate the offense at times. He'll take it from the high post. He'll look for a screen. There's a lot of backdoor cuts. Um, he's thrown passes that I'm like, wow, I didn't even think there was a possibility that got through when you threw it. And just it's pinpoint accurate. So he's been terrific. He had a monster game um, in Houston, but it, it was it was kind of all for naught. And, you know, after the ball game, I heard him kind of talking to some of the coaches. And he said, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd rather have the win than the season high in points. And then uh, that's the kind of attitude that is great and to have on your team. And kind of everybody in the locker room feels the same way. And, and they love Stephen Adams. John Morant just is his biggest fan right now because when he rubs a guard off of that screen, it's it's look out below because you're not going to – a big's not going to stop him from getting to the rim. And uh, as we've seen, Ja likes to challenge bigs at the rim quite a bit. Hey, you mentioned Adam's passing. Of course, that one pass to Ja against the Spurs for that buzzer yeah. beater was just an incredible pass. And I, I'm glad he brought up Ja because, I mean, what an incredible player to watch. And, of course, sometimes, you know, watching him on the other side with the Grizzlies, you're like, slow down, man. I mean, the way he's playing is just phenomenal. But from year one – to now, just where is that growth coming from? What have you seen the biggest growth as far as whether it's just, he definitely doesn't like confidence, but like on the court, where is that growth? Where have you seen it, I guess, grow the most? Well, he's, he's really, really smart. I mean, he's obviously gets superior athleticism and speed and, and leaping ability um, and able to finish at the rim. He's stronger than people think. But I think the thing people really don't talk about enough is his control of the game and, and what he sees on the court. Um, you know, this is a guy that from the way I've been told it, and, and I don't want to speak out of turn because I wasn't at Murray state, but he kind of realized if he wanted to, a shot at the next level, he needed to really learn the ins and outs of the game. He needed to become the smartest possible point guard that he could. And he already had that ability. He understood the game. Um, his father taught him very, very well. And, um, his dad was a pretty good player himself and, and was thinking about a, a semi-professional career. And um, basically, when Jaw was born, decided it's time to be a dad. It's time to raise a family and you know, passed on his knowledge of the game to his son. And um, you talked to Taylor Jenkins about him and he said, it's, it's just amazing. You get him in meetings and the guy already knows where we're going with what we're talking about. So one, the grasp of the game from rookie to the third year is, you know, you know it well enough, Daniel, you'll watch rookies go from just, you know, wet behind the ears to even towards the end of their first season, early second season, mid second season, where they're not making the same mistakes that they made early on. And I think he learned early on, he can't just blast off past people in this league. He can't just, you know, run by everybody, although he does a lot. He, he knows there's times when he can't. Um, there's still times where maybe he chooses the highlight real play over the simple play. And, and sometimes that's not the best thing. And, and, you know, it's not often, but he learns from those mistakes. So I think that's the biggest thing for him. He's gotten much more consistent with his jump shot. I mean, he's not shooting lights out from three and he'll go very streaky. There'll be nights he goes five for five. There'll be nights he goes one for six. Um, so it balances out, but he's got that confidence to continue to shoot that. Uh, his pull-up game, the, the teardrop has gotten better and better as well. So it, the scary thing is he's 22 years old. And as he continues to grow, and continues to learn the ins and outs of, of really high-level games and even games where you're playing a team that doesn't have a great record and you have a lead, that doesn't mean you can just go, you know, freewheel and off the, off the grid. You got to kind of stick to your principles and when the highlight's there to take it. As he continues to grasp more of the game, it's scary to me what he's possible, you know, capable of doing.
Absolutely. I talked about him as far as his doesn't lack confidence, but neither does the entire team. You see that edge with them as far as when they're playing. I think a lot of that is predicated on their success that they've had. But is this something they've had all season long? Is this something they've acquired over, you know, the improvement they've had from the beginning of the season? Where, where is this all coming from? Well, they do have a swagger to them. There's no doubt. LeBron James and Desmond Bain got into a little uh, jawing match earlier this season in Los Angeles and, and on the courtside microphone, you can, you could hear the comments from LeBron. And I, I forget there was some singer there that um, was saying Desmond Bain is loud and obnoxious and rude AF or whatever you want to say. And um, I was like, yo, the, if you really listen to them, they're not trying to get under their opponent's skin as much as they're propping each other up. But I get it. Like if you heard it, if I heard it as an opponent, I'd, I'd think they were, you know, they were talking trash, but that's who they are. They genuinely, as a group, I've 21 years with this group and three years prior in Sacramento, I've never seen a, a closer knit group. And even with the new faces like Steven Adams, uh, Zaire Williams, the rookie, uh, Santi Aldama is in his first year. They just, they have a camaraderie about them that's second to none. It's amazing when we do post-game interviews, if we have Tyus Jones or DeAnthony Melton, um, either Ja or whoever's doing it, the other two will come over and jump in. And it's now kind of a, a thing like, like, hey, they're asking about this. What do you think? And, and we've got to be careful because sometimes when they don't have the headset on, they forget that they're talking on live radio. Yeah. They think yeah. they're talking to their buddies and, you know, the proverbial four-letter bomb flies out of their exactly. mouth. Exactly. We've got to say, hey, remember, we're on radio. Like, let's not let's not get the radio announcer fired uh, for, you know, just a lack of a, a momentary lack of discretion with the words. But, um, you know, they're, they've multiple times this year taken team pictures after good wins. When Ja got the first 50 point game in franchise history, everybody joined in and took a picture. And it's you talk to other people around the league and they're like, wow, these guys genuinely love playing together. The best move that Zach Kleiman made at the trade deadline was not making a move um, because even if you have guys with expiring contracts, so what? So deal with that at the end of the season, let this run ride itself out. You're good the way you are. You're going to get another piece back in Dylan Brooks after the trade deadline. And you're not going to trade for someone of that caliber anyway. So let's just look at it like this. And they looked at it like that last year with Jaron Jackson jr. But it's different. Jaron was coming off a full knee injury. Dylan's coming off a sprained ankle. He'll be okay. And he played some this year. So he's already got his legs underneath. Him. He's already got his rhythm a little bit. He'll have to get his timing back as he returns. But um, they're a group that, that genuinely plays for one another, loves one another. And when they talk, as much as it can come off as cocky or arrogant to other people, I always feel like it's more they're, they're propping each other up and, and enjoying their success. So I get it. I'm a homer. I, I look at them every night. So I have a little bit of a skewed view and I can see where people come from, but that's where I try to step in and say, I, re I really think you're more frustrated that we're kicking your butt and you hear them talking and not paying attention to the words that are being said. A couple more questions oh. for you. One of them is the return of Jonas Valanciunas tonight to Memphis. Yeah. Um, what are, you have some great memories from him stories, but obviously you've had tons of interactions with him with your time there and his time here. Is there anything you think of or just, you know, the type yeah. of guy, obviously we've learned, how great of a person Jonas is and he's been great to be around and I'm assuming he was the same way when he was with Memphis. He's awesome. He, he is the best. And that was a hard trade to make to, to say the least. Um, they really felt that you, you asked about Jaws development. They really felt like Jonas as good as he is. And it wasn't intentional, but John knew he needed the ball to get going. 
Like if Jonas doesn't really get going early on, he has a harder time ramping it up. If he gets his touches early, look out, you got a beast on your hand. And so, you know, when you got job potentially able to take a, another team's guard, but he's really focused on getting Jonas going because they need him. And he was a double, double machine here. Um, they just felt like it was better to have a, a center that didn't need as many offensive touches. When you have Jaron Jackson, when you have a shooter like Desmond Bain, that's not a discredit to Jonas Valanciunas. They loved Jonas for his time here. They were thankful for what he brought to the table after the Marcus Hall trade. Um, I mean, I had great conversations with them. Terrific player, uh, really fun guy to be around, always positive, always smiling. Um, it, it was awesome. I always love seeing him get on the team bus because he just, he looks like a seven foot tall, you know, model of, of yeah. fashion he wears, you know, and, and so we'd always joke about that. But my best, I mean, the best memory I can tell you, because, you know, I always wondered when he was in Toronto, I'm like, this guy's got to take the next step soon, right? Like he's, he's got this skill set and he looks like he's on the verge of stardom. Uh, but then you got guys like Chris Bosch. You got guys there that are that are really, really good. Then they go out and get Kawhi Leonard. And so he was always just he, he's Jonas, but he's still really good to get a gauge of how good he is. We have a, a guy that played at Vanderbilt, our coaching staff, and Josh is about seven feet tall. And he was a solid player in the SEC, played a little overseas pro ball. And I happened to be in the gym after a practice and they were going full on hard one on one. And when I say Jonas absolutely dominated the matchup, that that's an understatement. And Josh is a really good player, like a professional level player. And the difference was just night and day. And you saw how quick Jonas was and you saw how strong Jonas was and you saw how good he can be when he just wanted to ramp it up because Josh was giving him a little trash talk and trying to bring the best out in him. And we're watching, I'm going, my Lord, when you see it up close, and him just in an open floor setting, it, it's remarkable. I think the combination you guys have after the trade deadline, getting C.J. McCollum is terrific. I Obviously, the, the talk for you guys is always about one guy. And if he's he's going to come back, if you get a healthy Zion Williamson and you have those other two pieces, um, this is going to be a hell of a battle between these two teams for many, many years to come. So love Jonas when he was there. I mean, just night in, night out. Uh, my one of my analysts, Michael Wallace, who used to write for the Heat Index for ESPN, every broadcast say, "Man rolls out of bed with a double double." I mean, just rolls out of bed and gets a double double. Doesn't matter how, doesn't matter where. And you know, I it, I, I was always marvelled at how well he shot the three and didn't really use it as a as a true weapon because his his strengths are obviously on the interior, but you can't leave that man open from straight away. And many teams on nights paid the price against the Grizzlies. They they don't get to the playoffs last year without him. They don't get to the bubble the year before without him and without his leadership and without his uh, camaraderie. And, and, man, that is a dude that, just like Steven Adams, those are two of the biggest, strongest guys I've seen. And we had a pretty big, strong one here in Zach Randolph for many years. And uh, those guys fit that bill. And when Zach looks at both of them and says, yeah, those guys are, are real. Those guys are tough. They're real guys. You know that that's, that's a, a huge compliment. Yeah, that battle is going to be interesting tonight um, between those two guys. But um, when it comes down to tonight, before I let you go, where do we where do we start? Where does it come down to as far as how Memphis gets to win or how does New Orleans get the best of Memphis in a, in a tough game? C.J. McCollum's a certified Grizz killer. I mean, just always has been with Portland and, and you know, 
aside from, and people will make the joke, well, yeah, he broke Mike Conley's face inadvertently on a loose ball one year in the playoffs. And there were still people here that, that felt like, you know, he, that was something that he had in his mind. No way. CJ's too classy, too good a player. I've always said, no, you guys are just reaching for things here as fans. Sometimes we'll do. Um, so if you guys get it going from the perimeter with him, that's a problem. Um, that matchup with Jonas and, and Steven's always fun. It was fun last year when they were on the opposite sides. Um, so that's going to be a big battle. Obviously, rebounding and scoring in the paint is is one of our strengths. Uh, the Grizzlies have to make threes tonight. If they're not shooting above 35% from three, that's, uh, that's a problem. Now, if you look at those superlative stats we all get uh, before each game, and I tell people this all the time, people are like, well, no kidding, Captain Obvious, when you make shots, you win. But you and I both know 45% is not exactly making a ton of shots. The Grizzlies have only lost three times all year when they've shot over 45%. And one of them was in their last game against Houston and they were shooting really, really well. And then went ice cold in the second half. So um, if, if the Grizzlies are finding their open looks and getting into the lane, it, it's a problem for not, you know, for anybody, let alone new Orleans. But the way you kind of combat that is with a big guy in the middle and the ability to possibly switch your defenses around. You know, Jones on the perimeter has got that length that he can disrupt some things. So uh, where teams I, I feel like always kind of get caught is maybe gambling and, and getting disconnected. Uh, you got to give the Grizzlies coaching staff credit. They scout very well. I give Willie Green a ton of credit because he understands the game from both a coaching and player's perspective. I think this is going to be a high-level game. I think the national TV audience is going to get a treat. And I think uh, this is something we need to get used to because – as things progress for the Pelicans and obviously for the Grizzlies, this is going to be, to me, along with Dallas, you know, a battle for the Southwest, you know, top spot for many years to come. Well said. Oh, that that be a fun one tonight between these two teams. Again, like you mentioned on TNT, but of course, turn down the volume, listen to Eric on the Memphis side and myself. Yeah. It's on New Orleans side. Eric, I really appreciate the time. I'll see you in just a few hours right across the street. Looking forward to tonight's matchup. Don't fill up on too much barbecue before the game. I'll, I'll look over there. You might fall asleep. It's, it's easy to do, though, in this city. You're going to have to wake me up. I had no guarantees there. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. <laughs> Thanks, brother. <laughs> and there he goes, Eric Hasseltine, radio voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, 6.30 p.m. Central tip. Again, a little bit earlier due to the TNT start. But, again, no local broadcast, no Bally Sports New Orleans. Unfortunately, no Joel Antonio and Jen tonight. They will be back tomorrow for a back-to-back. -back. We'll get to that in a second. But tonight, 6.30 I'll have pregame for you at 6 on ESPN New Orleans with 100.3 FM. And it'll be Todd, myself, and Aaron Summers on the call at 6.30. As I mentioned, tomorrow night, the Pelicans will welcome in the Orlando Magic for a four-game, the start of a four-game homestand. So I encourage everyone, the way this Pels team fill up the Smoothie King Center, some very winnable games, some huge games for New Orleans as they try to get in to that 10th play-in spot. They had some help last night. The Trailblazers lost. In Minnesota, so the Pelicans are two games ahead of the Blazers for that 10 spot. And with the Lakers loss, still remain just one game back of Los Angeles for nine, which means they would host a playing game. So lots to look forward to in the next couple of days. Begin Orlando tomorrow. Then on Friday, it's the Charlotte Hornets. The Pelicans have not seen all year. On Sunday, it's the Houston Rockets. And then on next Tuesday, it's the Pelicans and the Suns to wrap up the four-game homestand. So hopefully the Pelicans get this one and come back home to get some more wins in front of the great crowd. All right, that'll do it for today's podcast. We'll have one tomorrow with Jen Hale. Speaking of Ballet Sports New Orleans, she'll join us tomorrow to talk about tomorrow night's game and, of course, what's been going on with the Pelicans. And then we'll have another one for you on Friday. 
Until then, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek and Go Pels.